We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Hello. Sam Howell. How you doing? This is Ron Rivera of the Washington Commanders. How you doing? I'm good, Coach. How are you? You hanging in there? Yes, sir, I am. All right, well, listen, you know, we're up on the clock right now. We want to take you with this pick coming up, first pick in the fifth round. Yes, All right? Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Coach. You no. won't grab up I know. Hey, I know we're not going to. We expect good things. All right? Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Coach. All right. We're going to be reaching back out to you a little bit later after they announce your name. All righty? All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, kid. Talk to you later. How about that? Ron Rivera calling Sam Howell to say, kid, we are taking you with the first pick in the fifth round. Washington drafted a quarterback. It wasn't just any quarterback. This was a quarterback that had some name recognition. Sam Howell fell, fell hard and longer than most expected, and Washington picked him in the fifth round. This is a special weekend edition of the podcast, getting a show out that recaps uh, the Washington draft from over the weekend. There was plenty on the Jahan Dotson pick on Friday's show, so we will focus on day two Friday night and day three Saturday uh, on this show today. If you missed Friday's shows, uh, Friday show, by the way, J.P. Finley was on it, John Kime was on it. Uh, it's there for you. Tons on the trade back and the Dotson selection. I like Dotson, the player, a lot. I liked him before the draft. Uh, I mentioned that he was among the three or four other receivers after Drake London that they would have uh, that they would consider. Uh, Dotson, I didn't think they'd pick him at 11, and I was surprised that they picked him at 16. But Dotson was an outstanding, outstanding college receiver at Penn State. I think it was a really good pick. Whether or not they could have gotten him later with another trade back um, is another thing. It's not a crazy thought, but they didn't want to chance it. I think last year on Jamin Davis, most of us were very curious as to who they had picked, and we didn't know much about him, and we questioned that a little bit because it was very much a need pick. It felt like that, and maybe Dotson feels like that to some of you. I'm more confident in the Dotson pick. I think he's going to be a good player for Washington. I think he'll be a factor right from the jump. Um, I still think, regardless of what all of the draft value charts say, that for me anyway, in the moment, 
on Thursday night, it felt like they should have gotten more than just a compensatory end of third round pick and a fourth rounder. You know, that's a crucial five spots in the early to mid section of the first round of the NFL draft. But they know, they know what was out there in terms of offers, and they had charts that they were working with as well. By the way, a reminder to those of you convinced that the only draft value charts that matter are the ones that showed Washington getting the better of the deal with New Orleans. Martin Mayhew admitted late Thursday night that they used two different charts, and one showed they got a really good deal on the trade back with the Saints, and the other one showed that they did not. So it's kind of a matter of uh, some subjectivity with respect to the different ideas and the different weighted data that determines draft position value on these respective charts. But look, time will tell if it made sense for them to pass on a player like Kyle Hamilton or even Chris Olave or Jamison Williams for what ended up being, yeah, four players. Um, they, they traded back again with one of those picks and the trade back that started with, uh, New Orleans from 11 to 16 yielded a total of four players in that, in this draft. I'll get to that flow chart, uh, in a moment or two. Now, as far as the other seven selections made by Washington in this draft, I'm going to go through them. Uh, here in the opening segment of this uh, of this podcast. And then Nick Ackridge is going to join us on the show. Nick is a senior data analyst for Pro Football Focus. But beyond that, Nick's a Washington fan. He lives in Northern Virginia. This is his team. We've had a bunch of PFF guys on at times in recent years, both on radio and the podcast. But Nick is truly focused on this team, his favorite team. So we... We'll have Nick on. We'll get his thoughts, PFF's thoughts on the Skins draft, um, the Commander's draft, excuse me, a little little later on uh, in uh, the show. Now, the overarching theme to this offseason, in my opinion, is they think they're close. Close to what? Close to being a legitimate contender in their division, a legitimate contender if they don't win the East to be one of the three wild card teams in what is perceived to be a weak NFC. Uh, they feel their four game win streak uh, in November and very early December uh, last season set them up for what was going to be a mid to late December and January run into the postseason, uh, but was derailed by COVID injuries also. This is what Ron Rivera believes. We can agree or disagree all we want as to whether or not we think he's right, but that's what he thinks. That's what they think. And the offseason so far has reflected an approach that supports that notion. He's told you that this upcoming season is important. The third year of a new regime, he thinks he can get this team to the postseason. As I've mentioned in the past, The business of this organization needs some legitimate momentum, not the faction of the fan base. They don't need the faction of the fan base that has always been there, you know, and lectures on social media how others should just forget the past and forget the old name and forget the idiocy of much of the last two decades and get on board or get out. You know, that group is loud in some social media circles, but isn't very significant in terms of a needle mover for the business of the team. The team needs a lot more than a few, you know, overly triggered, you know, overly sensitive social media screamers to take the lead on this thing. 
the only way to get much bigger influencers to back the team again is to win. And even that might not do it anymore. But without a legitimately competitive team uh, that is competitive sooner rather than later, they will once again be near the bottom of the league in attendance, uh, bottom of the league in television ratings, and most of the other key measurables that indicate interest in that team. They need to get off to a good start. They need to have a good season in 2022. Make no mistake, some sort of long-term plan to win back those that have checked out you know, uh, some sort of long-term plan to win over those that are undecided isn't going to work. They know this. They need immediate success on the field. As in, 2022 must be, you know, a, a season with where they are in the mix for the playoffs from start to finish. You know, one in four, one in five, with a new name, new uniforms, new logo, uh, crest, new crest even though the crest was fixed, that will be hurtful to them. Jason Wright has been tasked, as I've mentioned before, with building a business that is, quote, losing resilient, closed quote. Good luck with that approach in this market with his team, with this team in particular. He knows the challenge. He's he's reliant really on Ron Rivera to get it done on the field, even though he's been tasked with building a business that is losing resilient. Jason understands. Ron understands. The owner understands. I think he understands. I don't know if he's focused on this anymore, um, but he certainly can can read you know, a year-to-year revenue analysis. And the decline over the last decade, really the last five years, is alarming to him and the league. So what you've been seeing and what you saw over this last weekend was an emphasis on finding players that can help right away. Older players, seasoned players, players that have played a ton of college football that fill needs that they have a really good feeling on can contribute right away. Maybe the boom potential of some of these players isn't as high as other players they could have taken in the same spots, but these players are plug-and-play ready to contribute, in their opinion, in a season 2022 where they've got to win. You know, minus maybe the selection of Sam Howell. Which, by the way, let me just digress for a moment, deviate uh, uh, for a moment. Because I do want to go chronologically through the picks they made from Friday night through Saturday. But on Sam Howell, all right, this wasn't just a throwaway pick on a quarterback late in a draft. Sam Howell was at one point in 2020 the projected number one overall pick in the 2022 draft. Sam Howell is a recognized name because he's been talked about as a pro prospect for two years now. They might think it's easy to say, oh, well, we used a later round pick in this draft on a developmental quarterback. But this is a quarterback that many thought could have gone in the second round of this draft and was part of the conversation leading up to this draft uh, in a group of, you know, it was this draft, we understand the quarterbacks were minimized, but he was part of the upper echelon discussion of this draft's quarterbacks. 
Ron played it kind of in two ways. He played it like, you know, he's a developmental guy, fifth rounder, but you could tell he was kind of giddy that Sam Howell was there because it's clear they think highly of him. I know for a fact there are people in the organization that liked Sam Howell a lot last year and liked him in this draft. He's a guy they saw a lot of a year ago when they became interested in Deami Brown. And while Ron uh, didn't directly admit that this was the guy he was referring to earlier in the week when he said there was a guy that he liked and he would have considered early if they hadn't traded for Wentz, he didn't deny that Sam Howell was that guy either. I'm not sure if it was or wasn't. Bottom line with Howell, he's a guy that teams did pass on for four straight rounds, but it's hard to sell Sam Howell as just a late-round training camp guy that defaults to third string for a few years. I'm not buying that. You know, Ron said he called Carson Wentz to let him know that they were going to take Howell. I know Wentz is sensitive or was sensitive over the Jalen Hurts second-round selection, but I don't think the Colts had to tell him that they were taking Sam Sam Ehlinger uh, last year in the sixth round. Maybe they did. But Ehlinger wasn't the quarterback that was falling much further than expected. You know, he wasn't the the known name that Sam Howell was. No, Ron told Wentz that he was going to draft Sam Howell before he did it because it was Sam Howell. And Howell was thought to be, heading into this draft, a guy that should have gone much earlier. I love that they took a guy that they really liked in this draft. It was the smart thing to do. I only hope that they didn't pass on a guy earlier that they liked even more. All right. Um, The overarching theme to this weekend, players drafted, especially in rounds one through four, are players they think and want to contribute immediately. They'll be crushed, by the way, if these players aren't ready to contribute right away. That was the goal. They don't care that a ton of so-called draft experts believe that their first four picks were drafted too early. For them, they believe that even if that's true for their purposes, they passed maybe on bigger talent upsides but they went with guys that can help right away. Safer guys, maybe guys with bigger floors and maybe lower ceilings, if you want to describe it that way. Um, Martin Mayhew defended the process and the criticism that he took um, by saying that people on the outside don't know what people on the inside know. I think that's probably more right than wrong. But anyway... Um, All right, we went through Dotson on Friday, repeating, uh, I like Dotson a lot. Four-year player, super productive, ready to play, fills what they thought was an immediate need. Now let's get into more detail on rounds two through seven. And again, the theme, ready to contribute right away. Let's start with Phil Mathis. Perhaps not the most talented defensive tackle in that spot in the second round, but a 24-year-old player who is mature, tons of snaps at the highest levels of college football, and ready to be part of a a rotation. You know, a rotation with two other Alabama guys, John Allen and Deron Payne, but replacing, you know, the rotational parts that are gone, Tim Settle and Matt Ioannidis. So they believe that Phil Mathis, big, strong dude who can really push uh, and, and push the pocket, isn't explosive, but he can push the pocket. He can certainly uh, be a rotational part uh, on early downs against the run. They think he's ready to play. 
Brian Anderson Jr., third-round running back from Alabama. I think they might have selected Davis Price uh, from LSU if he had been there, but he was taken five spots ahead by the 49ers. I like two backs more than uh, Anderson Jr. I liked Zamir White from Georgia, who went to the Raiders in the fourth round, and I loved Tyler Algier from BYU, who went in the fifth round to the Falcons. But Anderson Jr. was another guy who had played with the best, competed against the best, arrived at Bama back in 2017, 66 games in college, 545 carries, seasoned banger at 6'1", 6'2", 225, I think too early for him in the third round, but they seemed intent on a back that in some ways, right, could replace the guy they didn't want to lose last year, Peyton Barber. Some might say, and I don't think this is wrong, but if you're going to pick a running back in the first three rounds, you should be picking him with the idea that he might become, you know, a significant part of what you're doing, like a lead back. You know, a first and second down back would be the case for him. A short yardage back maybe on third and fourth and short also for him. I like Antonio Gibson as a powerful downhill yards after contact back. I do. You know, I know he's got a fumbling problem. And Anderson, by the way, didn't fumble once at Bama in five seasons. Not once. Uh, Those three picks, Dotson, Mathis, Anderson Jr., seasoned players, older players, ton of snaps against the best of the best in college football, all productive at college, uh, at the college level, none of them selected on talent alone. And you could say the same thing about Percy Butler, their fourth-round pick from Louisiana. A true free safety, maybe not the Landon Collins replacement, so perhaps the one need area, need area that would be in this draft that they didn't directly answer is that, you know, Buffalo nickel. Um, but Butler ran sub 4-4. He's a three-year starter, a special teams gunner day one. Butler had more than a 1,000 gradable special team snaps during his college career. A 1,000. And he loves special teams. He talked about that before the draft, saying, quote, I feel like nobody is going to show up on special teams like I am. Uh, that will put me ahead of a lot of guys in this year's draft, closed quote. Chris Sims said on Twitter, the commanders got the best pure safety in the NFL draft in Percy Butler. Dude has tremendous range in center field. He is very good in all areas of coverage, let alone he has three rockets up his butt and can fly. Yeah, he ran a 4-3-6. Uh, I think that's what he ran. Uh, he is not all coverage. He is a very good tackler, too. That was Chris Sims. Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network. On special teams, he's going to be dominant right out of the gate. Kuiper about Butler said, underrated prospect. So lots of snaps on defense and special teams over the last three years. Wants to do whatever it takes to get on the field. He's going to contribute immediately, even if it's primarily on special teams. Uh, Back to Sam Howell, first pick in the fifth round. Uh, Again, I didn't love him as a pro prospect, but there were things I liked about him. He's tough. He's a very good runner. He's a playmaker. In some ways, like Taylor Heineke, big difference. He's got a big-time arm. Uh, he played in a very, very college-based system. Tons of RPO, zone read. Not a system requiring him to go through, you know, pro-level progressions. 
Uh, but he can make the throws. In 2020, great year, great talent around him. Uh, 2021, not as good of a year. Uh, but he was without Deami Brown. He was without Javante Williams. He was without Michael Carter. He was without several offensive linemen. He had some rough games in big spots last year, including the opener uh, against Virginia Tech in Blacksburg uh, during Labor Day weekend. That was a primetime game on Friday night, Labor Day weekend. I watched that game. He was a disaster that night. But I also watched him against Notre Dame in South Bend this year in late October, early November. They lost the game, but he was amazing in that game, willing that team uh, to hang in there. Uh, and have a chance. Uh, they got to to within seven uh, in the fourth quarter on a big touchdown run by him. Uh, he's on the shorter side, but he is a big-time runner. He's got some Matt Corral in him as a runner. Similar system to Corral system at Ole Miss as well. I liked Willis from this draft. He's the only one that I considered to have huge boom potential for me, but I'm, you know, I'm not picking them. They are. And I do love, I do love that they didn't pick back off picking a quarterback in this draft that they liked a lot. And they liked him. They liked him a lot. I I believe that. Uh, Certainly some people in the organization liked him a lot. You know, if they didn't, they would not have drafted him. Uh, You know, they they had to like him to draft him there. You're not going to put pressure on Wentz and create, you know, the conversation that will, of, of course, come with the drafting of Sam Howell, unless you really did like him. You know, would taking him earlier have been sort of a bigger sign that he's much more than just a developmental, you know, project? Yes. But again, they weren't going to just take him if they didn't have a decent grade on him. They like him. You know, uh, they can talk developmental all they want. If this guy comes in and impresses like some people in the organization believe he can, and Wentz isn't the guy... He's going to be in there sooner rather than later. I'm predicting today he plays this year, that he starts games this year. In some ways, it's because of Wentz's injury history, but also I'm not a believer that this team's like a legit playoff contender. So end of year, you know, they might be out of it. Um, Are we going to see Heineke or are we going to see Howell? I think in that scenario, we would see Howell. But there's a lot of time between now and uh, and then, uh, that's for sure. I love the Cole Turner pick that came a few spots after the Hal pick. Uh, I watched a little bit of Turner before the draft when they had privately worked him out at Nevada with Carson Strong, but I watched a lot more after they selected him. He's 6'7". He's a receiving tight end. 111 catches, 19 touchdowns the last two years at Nevada. Big catch radius. That's a theme this weekend. Dotson has one as well. They worked him out, as mentioned, privately with Carson Strong. I wonder, actually, if they had missed out on Hal, if they would have drafted Strong. I'm not sure. Um, But they really like Turner's ability to go up and get the ball. And with Logan Thomas coming off that injury that he suffered late in the season and Bates being, you know, a blocking tight end more than anything else, Turner could be a guy that contributes right away. You know, Logan Thomas is their guy, but they were limited without him last year, and there's no guarantee he's going to be ready to start the year. Turner is insurance, yes, for Thomas, but... I think Scott Turner likes him. I think you could see 
maybe something other than 11 personnel all the time, um, which they love. And perhaps especially on a condensed field, you'll see you know, Logan Thomas and a Cole Turner out there. Two tight ends with size and big, you know, and huge catch radiuses or radii. Um, is that the plural of radius? I think it is. Uh, Chris Paul in the seventh round out of Tulsa means that two Tulsa offensive line starters got picked in this draft. Dallas used their first round pick on Tyler Smith. Paul's another player with a ton of experience. He played tackle the last two years. Played guard as a redshirt freshman. So lots of experience in position flexibility. We know that Ron Rivera loves that. He's got long arms. He's athletic. He's apparently a smart kid. Um, fills a need uh, as as depth at guard and flexibility to play either tackle spot, which he did at Tulsa in a pinch. Um, but I think he's projected as a guard. He's a good project uh, good project for John Matsko, for sure. Uh, their other seventh-round pick, Christian Holmes, a corner from Oklahoma State, one of the best two or three defensive teams in America last year. God, I loved watching Oklahoma State defensively last year. Uh, Holmes, uh, good instincts, very aggressive. He ran 4-5-something, uh, which didn't make him attractive as an earlier pick. But he's got athleticism. He's also got a 40-inch vertical. Um, he's quick, maybe more than fast. Uh, he can play a little bit. Seventh round selection, of course, means probably not. But with this team, you know, they've had some success in the seventh round the last two years. All five of their seventh rounders are still on the team from the last two years. Cam Curl, James Smith Williams from the 2020 draft, Shaka Tony, Dax Milne, and William Bradley King from last year's draft. All right, two more things uh, before we get to Nick Ackridge from Pro Football Focus. First of all, I promised earlier in this segment the flow chart from the day one trade. Uh, so everybody knows they traded from 11 to 16 on night one of the draft with New Orleans, and they picked up a third and fourth rounder to do it. Uh, the third rounder was the end of the third round, a, a, a compensatory pick that the Saints had, number 98 overall, and they got uh, an earlier pick in the fourth round, 120 overall from the Saints to move back five spots. And then they took their fourth rounder that they got from the Saints, and they coupled it with a sixth rounder on day three of the draft, and they sent those two picks to Carolina for two fifth rounders. Uh, those fifth rounders were at 144 and 149. So from 11 back to 16, they drafted Dotson. They got a third rounder, and they took Robinson Jr. And then the fourth rounder that they traded to Carolina turned into two fifth rounders, and they got Sam Howell and Cole Turner. So, yes, like they did have a sixth rounder, which would have been a player if they didn't deal it to Carolina. Um, so you can't say that they actually, you know, yielded an additional player through the trade back because they ended up sending two picks for two picks. Uh, but uh, the direct players picked um, from the trade in the first round were Dotson, Robinson Jr., Howell, and Cole Turner. I know many of you believe, look, they got four good players for just five spots back. Um, you know, they made out much better than they would have if they had just stuck at 11 and taken a player. Well, you don't know that. You don't know that at all. If Kyle Hamilton becomes a Hall of Fame player in Baltimore and Washington's four players, three of them end up being non-contributors and one of them becomes a really good player, well, that's not a win. You don't know. It takes time to evaluate these things, lots of time. 
Uh, if Jamison Williams turns into the best receiver in the NFL and Jahan Dotson is just a good receiver and Robinson Jr. and Hal and Turner don't turn out to be much, well, you'd like to go back and draft Jamison Williams. You know, if Alave becomes that. Uh, look, I didn't mind the trade back. I would have preferred Hamilton at 11, even knowing what they got, yes. But... I like Dotson, the player. I like Turner, the player. Um, and who knows on this stuff? Which leads me to this last thing before uh, we get to Nick Ackridge. The NFL draft requires almost anybody that does what I do to provide a grade the day after. I've done it in the past because that's what people want. And I, by the way, love reading how you know Washington's draft was graded by especially people that I respect. But you need three years before you actually know anything. If you think you need to be right about your grade for a draft, like it's important for you to be right, like and, and by the way, you believe you can be right, you probably love to play the slots rather than craps in a casino. You know, nobody, fortunately, is holding anybody to accountability over grades for an NFL draft. So I'll say this, you know, if past is prologue, then most of these players won't be significant contributors three years from today. Two to three of them will, con- will be considered, you know, hits. Um, I like Dotson a lot. I like Turner. Um, I, those are my predictions right now on legitimate hits from this draft. I think their obvious course of action, which was to draft players that can contribute right away because they think they're close and they can't wait on being competitive, is a bit delusional. But I not not delusional in terms of understanding they need to win right away, but uh, uh, delusional about them being super close to anything. Um, but I do believe that the way they drafted will produce three to four immediate contributors. I just don't know if it produces any players that can help them compete for a Super Bowl down the road. I don't know for sure, nor do you, but I do like Dotson. I really like Dotson to be a player that could be a legit high-level receiver. Maybe not a superstar, but on a good team with another good receiver like Terry McLaurin, a guy who will put up really impressive numbers. And I do like Turner's chances to stick and contribute especially with their current starting quarterback. And especially if Logan, Tom, uh, Logan Thomas, and I'm hearing some things about this, isn't you know ready when training camp begins. So with that said, I'll give them C plus B minus. Uh, up next, Nick Ackridge from Pro Football Focus. He's a huge Washington fan. Let's see what he thinks as a senior data analyst for PFF. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Don't forget, if you haven't done it already, to rate us and review us, especially on Apple. Uh, A quick five-star rating and a one-to-two-sentence review really helps us out a lot. Uh, Let's welcome onto the podcast Nick Ackridge. Nick is a senior data analyst for Pro Football Focus. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Nick Ackridge. It's spelled uh, A-K-R-I-D-G-E. Nick is a huge DC sports fan and I had a friend of mine reach out to me uh, on Friday and say you've had all these PFF guys on. Why haven't you had Nick on? He's following our team closer than anybody else at PFF. So, Nick, it's great to have you on. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Can't wait to dive into this and give, Let, give, all, my, give all my takes away. Let's do it. Let's start with Sam Howell because I think when all's said and done, this pick at the top of the fifth round is going to generate as much conversation among this fan base uh, as any other they made uh, in this draft. Uh, I know you're a big fan of Sam Howell. Tell everybody why. Yeah, I... I, I love the guy. I mean, relative to this class, I loved him. Um, he was my, my second favorite quarterback behind Ritter. Um, I, I think he has the tools. Um, it, it was tough to sort of see, you know, full what he was fully capable of last year. He played in a, a very college offense where they run a lot of RPOs. And it was, it was basically just RPOs and deep balls. But he has a cannon. It's very natural. Um, he, he struggled a bit within the pocket. He likes to kind of you know, one read and, and take off and run, and he's very, very good at that. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's getting him in the fifth round and, and letting him develop and, you know, hopefully be a, a top-tier guy, I, I think he could eventually come become that if you get very lucky. And, you know, when you take these, these quarterbacks in these late rounds, you are hoping for some luck to get a guy like, I know Washington fans don't want to hear it, but get a guy like Kirk Cousins, like a, like a Dak Prescott, someone late in these rounds, 
that you can kind of develop into being a successful quarterback. All right, let's talk about first of all where you um, where you had him as your number two overall quarterback behind Ritter. You said so. What round do you think he should have gone in in this draft? I I thought I had Ritter as one, and I, Ritter was kind of clear above everybody else for me. I just thought he was the safest prospect and the most pro ready right now. Um, I had Ritter like if it was me, I would take him second round. The rest of these guys, I would kind of take third, fourth, fifth round because they they are people that they're going to need a lot of work. And, you know, drafting quarterbacks this late usually doesn't turn out too well. Um, So you want to kind of find a guy that you you really like their tools and you you feel like you can kind of work with that and develop him into the quarterback that you want. And uh, I think Howell is the perfect guy to do that. I'm guessing that one of the reasons that it took so long for him to come off the board and, and people were surprised and we'll get to the rest of Washington's draft because there was a lot of discussion um, specifically about their first three picks, uh, their first two in particular about players that may have gone a little bit too early. We'll circle back back to that one in a moment, but Sam Howell had a phenomenal uh, 2020 season when he had a lot of his weapons um, there, Deami Brown being one of him. He had the two uh, big-time backs in Javante Williams and Michael Carter. This year, not as much. You mentioned it. Very, you know, heavy quarterback involved, dual threat, RPO, read option system uh, with with Mac Brown as the head coach at North Carolina here the last couple of years. The production fell off a little bit this year, although there were games this year where he single-handedly kept his team uh, in the games without a lot around him. But let's break Break down Sam Howe every which way uh, we can here. And then we'll get to uh, the rest of Washington's draft, Nick. Um, Let's start with his physical stature. You know, I watched a lot of Carolina the last two years and watched a lot of Sam Howe. And, you know, he's not a tall quarterback. Uh, You know, I I think he's listed at 6'1". I don't think he plays 6'1". He's a physical runner. There's no doubt about that. Um, But what do you make of his size, his height in particular? I don't see his size as much of an issue. Uh, if anything, he was on the, the huskier side, I'll say. Uh, but he, he used that to his, his advantage. He, he broke a, lo- a lot of tackles. Uh, we have him with 65 broken tackles in 2022, which is just insane for a quarterback. You don't see that a lot with running backs. Um, so I don't think his size is a problem. You, you've seen a lot of quarterbacks nowadays that are in that 6'1", 6'2", range that are, that are successful. I mean, we're not really looking for six foot seven, six foot five quarterbacks that you know can thrive in the NFL. You you see a lot of short-ish quarterbacks now that um, are working in the NFL, and I think his size won't be a problem. Um, when, when it came to production, yeah, he he lost a lot of talent, like you just mentioned. Um, but his PFF grade only dropped by two points. In in 2020, his grade was at a 92.3, and last year was at a 90.9. Um, you know, the yards dropped. The, the touchdown has dropped, but for us, he's still graded out highly because of those big-time throws is what we call them, those, those high-level throws deep down the field. You know, a lot of times they were getting dropped by some of these lesser wide receivers, and um, he did feast on some lesser opponents, and, you know, in those, big, those bigger games that were broadcast on national television, he struggled a bit, like Virginia Tech in the very first week of 2021 that a lot of people kind of remember. He really, really struggled in that game. And I think a lot of people remember those games, which, I mean, that's no fault to them because, again, you want to see how he performs against the best competition. Um, 
but yeah, his production was obviously, it was just going to take a hit just because of the talent that they, they lost. Yeah, that Virginia Tech opener, um, which was a high-profile, you know, Friday night game, national TV, Labor Day weekend, was was a dud for him. But Nick, I thought yeah. I thought the game at Notre Dame, um, you know, later in the season last year, they lost that game, but he single-handedly, you know, kept them in that game. I, I thought that was one of the better yeah. games uh, he had had all year. Talk about his arm strength, because you know, in watching Sam Howell, I think a lot of people as a runner um, and as a competitor are going to see actually some Taylor Heineke in him, although I think he's bigger and stronger. Um, and as you mentioned, yep. all of the broken tackles and, and that was, you know, kind of a hallmark watching Carolina over the last couple of years is him as a runner. But what about the arm strength? Can he make every NFL throw? Yeah, he, he can. Uh, the, the problem with, with him was just kind of consistency within the pocket um, and, and bailing a little too quickly. Um, but he's got the he's got the arm talent. He can hit he can hit the deep balls. He's got a moonshot ball like Russell Wilson. I've seen plenty of throws where he's hidden out routes from the far hash. And in college, that's a lot farther of a throw just because the hashes are wider. And you have to deliver that ball on a rope. Um, so the the arm talent is, is definitely there. The arm talent was never a problem. Um, it, it's just the kind of the mental side of the game that we don't even know if he can do it fully yet just because of the offense that he played in. Yeah, that's a really good point. And one of the things I was going to mention is you said sometimes he took off a little bit earlier. That's that really, like if you watched Carolina, which you did, a lot of times he would take off early. And I wonder how much of that was just him relying on his athleticism and how much of that was you know, uh, kind of an ability to read defenses and be and be patient and hang in there as as a pocket passer. What do you think? Right. Yeah. With the with these offenses, a lot of times you're only hitting half of the field right. to look at. You're just reading half of the field. The other half is really not even in the play. So a lot of times he is just looking at that that side, and if it's not there, he's taking off and running. And that is in the offense. So that's why I'm not as low on the mental side, just because I, I just don't think we know what he's capable of. And it's just because of the offense. Uh, if you kind of let him sit and, and learn an NFL offense and, you know, kind of see these NFL defenses and work with NFL concepts, um, then you can then you can really judge him. Nick Ackridge uh, is joining us. Nick is a senior data analyst for Pro Football Focus, and um, he's a big DC sports fan, huge Washington football team fan. We'll get to the rest of the picks here in a moment, uh, but we are focused in on Sam Howell right now. Uh, give me, you know, give me a little bit on his accuracy and release. Accuracy was fine. I don't think there was any glaring issues there. It wasn't something like. Uh, Malik Willis or even Desmond Ritter who struggled with accuracy right. at times. Um, his release is, is very over the top. Um, some some quarterback gurus probably won't like it as much, but for for me, I'm just looking if, if he can deliver the ball on time um, accurately and down the field. I don't really care what it looks like. Um, so yeah, it's it's not the most natural looking one, but he can he can absolutely fling it. Did you see some similarities with the way Hal played and with the way Matt Corral played? Similarities in in the the fact that the the offenses are similar and the arm talent is similar. Yeah, I would agree with that. They're they're two different body types, um, obviously, but um, the way they kind of 
play is is a little similar, yeah. Yeah, I thought the way they would, you know, physically take on tacklers, you know, at the college level yeah. uh, was similar as well. Um, who did you have if you did have a comp form? Who was your pro comp? I don't. I didn't really have a comp. I I, I suck at comps. I, I don't know how people <laughs> do it. I really don't. Um, a lot of people said Baker Mayfield, um, yeah. which you can just kind of see it in the body type. Um, we have in, in the PFS draft guide, we have shade, it says shades of slower Russell Wilson. Um, and you can kind of see that with his, with just his deep ball. If you just look at his deep ball and the, the moon shots, like I said earlier, it is Russell Wilson as the way he kind of just drops it in the bucket. Do you think his extend the playability, his escapability, uh, talent is comparable with Russell Wilson's? Uh, maybe not as quick, um, like, like I said, it was a slower Russell Wilson, so not as quick. But again, he he's a bigger body type, and yeah. he was a, he was pretty elusive in the pocket when it when it kind of broke down. But my thing was that he just left him a little bit too early for me. Carson Wentz is going to be the starting quarterback uh, next year. Uh, you can count on that, everybody. Uh, but let's ask Nick. Nick, do you think that Sam Howell has a chance to be the backup quarterback when the season starts? I think that Ron is very happy with Wentz and Heineke. I, I think they're just basically going to redshirt him this year. Um, if it was up to me, I kind of want to see him play. Obviously, as a fan, you want to see him thrown to the wolves and see if he can survive. Um, but I, I think Ron is, is very firm with, you know, Wentz is one and, and Heineke is two. And I think you, you can be pretty happy with that. Heineke is not the greatest quarterback in the world, but we all see what he can do when he's kind of stepped into put in the fire and, you know, kind of needs to perform. Um, so, yeah, I think the one-two will be Wentz and Heineke all year. And since you're a fan of the team, do you think having Hal on this roster versus maybe a lesser-known fifth- or sixth-round quarterback is going to put pressure on on Wentz or not? I hope not. I, I mean, <laughs> the way it seemed like he handled the whole Jalen Hurts situation, you just don't know. Um, I don't think he should be too worried just right away. Now, if he starts to play poorly, then yeah, you, you should definitely be worried about you know how or Heineke just if he if he's just not playing um, great. But I, I think he he'll he'll be okay with you know a fifth round quarterback being drafted. All right, um, let's get to the other picks from uh, Saturday. Uh, let's start with their fourth rounder, Percy Butler, the safety from Louisiana. Yep. Uh, tell us what you think about him. Yeah, he'll step in right away and and play special teams. He'll be a gunner, and he will succeed very quickly with being a gunner and being a a special teams type of guy. Um, I don't know how well he'll kind of step in and play a deep safety role. Um, You know, we wrote in our draft guide that you know he could maybe even move to corner just because he's very slim. He's six foot, hundred ninety four. He's just a slimmer guy, but he's very He's very quick. He's a very athletic guy. Um, he's just one of those guys, and you kind of see it throughout the entire draft class. They're very high-floor guys. Might be low ceiling, but they're very high-floor. And you know what you're going to get on special teams, and he can step in right away and you know contribute there. Uh, well, before we get back to him and some of the other players, you just mentioned something, and I, I, I'm not sure if I described it the same way, but it was similar. I think this draft in many ways was – um, a, a, a draft uh, about the present as much as it is about yep. the future. You know, 
uh, and I said this in the open to the podcast, is one of our um, favorite uh, former team presidents said, uh, we're close, and I think they believe <laughs> they're close. Um, you know, yeah, obvious, I agree. Yeah, go ahead. I just, I mean, the look, I look at Mathis is 24 years old. Robinson yep. Jr. is a four-year player. Butler is a four-year player and older. Um, it's like they they wanted, as you just described, they wanted high floor guys rather than high ceiling guys because they want immediate contribution. Yep, and, and they're going to get it. I, I really do think they'll get immediate contribution because these guys, are they're pretty much ready to play. Um, I don't know how successful they're going to be, but they won't look out of place, if that makes sense. Um, but, but I agree. I, I think that they believe that they're close. I might not necessarily agree with that. A lot of fans might not necessarily agree with that. But they think that they're close in a much, much weaker NFC conference now. With They went out and they got their quarterback. And if you can get high in Carson Wentz, you might be able to compete. I'm a bit lower on Carson Wentz. But I, I think that they believe they are ready to compete in this draft. It, it just screams up. On Percy Butler, specific to what his strengths are, he is a free safety, right? We're not going to see him in and around the line of scrimmage like with Landon Collins, or am I wrong? I don't know. I, I have to watch him closer. Um, but everything that I've kind of read is, is safety. Um, he, he is, he's on the smaller side, so you right. don't really know. Um, it, it was, it, it's a strange selection. I, I think that, like I said, right away, you're going to get help on special teams. I just don't know how he'd be able to contribute, um, on the, on the defensive side. He, what did he run? Didn't he run sub four, four? Yep. It was four, three, six, 40 yard dash, which uh, was 97th percentile. So freak athlete, it's, you just, I mean, I don't know what you're going to get on the defensive side. All right, tell uh, tell everybody about Cole Turner. We know that they went out and worked out him and Carson Strong together at Nevada. What did they get in the tight end with their second, fifth-round pick? Yeah, when I was watching Carson Strong, Cole Turner just popped out just because he's an absolute massive human being. Uh, he's almost 6'7". He's just huge. I mean, at the, the very worst-case scenario, again, very worst-case scenario, you're going to have a guy that's just going to win jump balls and is going to be good in contested catch situations. Um, he's the exact opposite of John Bates, right. where he, he drafted John Bates last year, kind of a, a run blocker, and he is a fantastic run blocker. As an inline tight end, run blocking kind of guy, um, to be that second tight end. And Turner's the exact opposite. You won't see him blocking much. Um, struggle getting going over the middle of the field, but he's a, he's a massive body and, and something you can kind of – build off of I think I think you can kind of build him into being a, a decent pass catching tight end in this league um all right let's go to uh the end of the draft uh for them I you you guys did not have uh, a, a, you didn't have Christian Holmes actually as a draftable player right their their seventh their second seventh round pick we didn't have him on our draft guide um I think we have about 250 to 300 players okay. I believe um, but when you get down to the seventh round, it's all preference, basically. It's what you think you can fix. It's what tools you like. Um, so, yeah. All right. Tell us about uh, their guard, not point guard, but their guard out of Tulsa, Chris Paul. <laughs> yeah. Um, another compassing human being. Uh, he's very, very strong in his lower half. Um, he's going to, he's just going to kind of, 
bully people. Um, he, he's not as technically refined, which is why he dropped so low. Um, we had his round projection in the fifth, sixth-ish range, so you're getting decent value here. Um, it's a type of it's a type of guy that you kind of want to find in the seventh round, a, a big, athletic um, offensive lineman that you can kind of work technique with and kind of hope that they can turn into a, a, a decent pro. All right, uh, Nick's doing a great job uh, with us here. Let's get to days one and two, uh, the first three picks for. Uh, the Washington Commanders, the first three picks ever for the Washington Commanders. Uh, And we'll do that with Nick Ackridge right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We are being joined by Nick Ackridge at PFF underscore Nick Ackridge. Nick's a huge D.C. sports fan, and he is a senior data analyst for Pro Football Focus. Uh, We covered uh, rounds four through seven first, starting with uh, the selection of Sam Howell, uh, which is a selection that will get a lot of conversation, certainly in this offseason. And God forbid the season not go well. Uh, Many in the fan base will be screaming for Sam Howell pretty early if Carson Wentz doesn't get the job done. But let's get to uh, Thursday night and Friday night. Let's start with what PFF, what you thought of the selection of Jahan Dotson after trading back. Yeah, some guys at PFF aren't as high on him. Um, I I got to watching him after they they picked him. Uh, I just watched those top four wide receivers thinking that's who they were going to get. A very shifty guy. Again, he is the... Profile of this class is, like I said, high floor, lowish ceiling. He will step in right away. He will be able to perform in the slot. Uh, he won't look out of place. He is a zone killer with a massive catch radius for someone who isn't even six foot. Um, he, he's, he's just going to succeed right away in the NFL, um, but I don't think he has the, the high ceiling like some of those other top four wide receivers had. Um, but when you take into account the trade – that you got, and you can package that with a, a Sam Howell, a Percy Butler, um, all of these other picks, you you can understand the value there. And, and I think it's great value for trading back. I, I think that Jahan Dotson and all these other picks that they got is more valuable than just Chris Olave. What do you – so you think he – I feel the same way, and I, and I said this on Friday, and you know I heard Ron and Martin Mayhew saying that he can play everywhere, and Scott Turner does tend to, to, to play these guys almost everywhere looking for matchups. But, man, he excels. He looks like a guy that will just excel in the slot. But then, you know, Curtis Samuel is a guy that you think will excel in the slot if we ever see him on the field. I mean, they were able to get Terry McLaurin – into that situation, but to listen to Ron and Martin, you know they 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 think they can line them up at the X or the Z too. Do you do you agree with that or not? Yeah, I think you can. He struggled to kind of get off of press man situations against much more physical corners, but you can kind of hide that. You can you know have these bunch formations where you have all three to one side, and you have him hiding behind someone like Terry in the slot. And, and I think it's it's a it's a good fit because, like you said, with Samuel with with Terry and now with Jahan Dotson, all three of them can play in the slot and all three of them have previous experience playing out wide. Uh, I mean, Dotson almost primarily played out wide at Penn state. Uh, like I said, he struggled with, with physical press man corners. And you're going to get that more in the NFL. Um, but I think, like I said, you can hide that and you can, 
you know, let him use his skills to his advantage. All right, let's get to Friday night's selections, the selection uh, of Mathis and the selection of Robinson Jr. Again, two players with a lot of college mileage on them. What did you make of those two selections, rounds two and three from Washington on Friday night? Yeah, I went to bed that night not the happiest just because, like I said earlier, I don't see them as ready to compete right now. And like they, they do see themselves as a team that can compete, and these picks make sense for that. Mathis is going to be a guy that you'll be able to plug in right away um, into that rotational defensive tackle, and he will not look out of place whatsoever. He'll be very good in the run game. He won't offer you much um, as a pass rusher, so whatever you get there is just kind of um, extra icing on the cake, whatever you want to say. But he's just a solid player. There's not much upside there, but there's not a lot of downside at all. I mean, he was – he was playing on Alabama's line as a redshirt freshman, and that should kind of tell you everything you need to know about how NFL-ready he is. On Robinson Jr., do you think they believe that they selected a guy in the third round at that position that can be eventually their number one lead back? I don't know if he can be that full every down back, um, but he can be – a decent rotational running back that is a good change of pace guy from someone like Antonio Gibson. And I think this pick just kind of is to light a fire under Gibson and see what you truly have there because Washington's offensive line was, was very good and they've been very good for these past couple of years, but Gibson was not taking full advantage of that. We all know the fumble problems, but he had problems with, with vision and, and finding the right holes. You won't find that with Robinson. He might not be as shifty or as dynamic as Gibson, but he will find the hole and he will attack it and go straight downhill. Um, And he had zero fumbles in college. He's just the exact opposite of Antonio Gibson. Um, So I I think he's he's a perfect complement to him. But for me, in the third round, I just I don't understand why you're getting a running back. These type of guys can be found a lot later in the draft. It's almost as if like they really. They they really missed Peyton Barber, which they talked about actually um, when yeah. they lost him, and that they've been looking to replace him. And actually, I, I don't. I, I'm almost forgetting what Gibson's short yardage numbers were. But Gibson's best strength for me, uh, greatest strength for me, is that he's a, he's very powerful at at the point of contact. Um, but I, you, you don't draft Peyton Barber in the third round. No, and I agree with that, and that's kind of what left such a sour taste in my in my mouth going to bed that night. Um, look, again, he's going to step in, and you'll see him be successful. He will not look out of place whatsoever. He will be able to be a successful running back. Um, but, again, these are the type of guys like Peyton Barber that you can find in free agency on, on cheap deals that you don't need to spend premium draft capital on. All right, um, let's net it out here. Who was your favorite pick? I think I know the answer to that. Uh, who was um, the pick that you're most disappointed with? And then who do you think was the greatest value pick overall? Go ahead. Um, I, I, my favorite pick and the greatest value pick, I think, would be Sam Howell. To get a quarterback that a lot of people had in their top two, top three, that a lot of people saw going in the second and third, and some people even saw going in the first round, to get him in the fifth round, and just kind of pray that he is that diamond in the rough. Um, I think that's incredible value. He's my favorite pick. Um, and if you can fully unleash his tools, I think he can be successful in the NFL. Um, and, and I think my least favorite pick, it just goes back to the running back, Brian Robinson. 
And it's nothing against the player. Again, he is a, going to be a successful running back in the NFL. Um, I, I just don't think that where you drafted him is is the best option for where they are as a, as a team. One more, Nick, on Sam Howell. I, I want to go back to him for just a moment. Do you think that if he were to play this year, let's just say the season got sideways and they wanted to see what Sam Howell could do at some point this year, do you think that Scott Turner would have to – tailor or craft his offensive approach to fit what Sam Howell did well at North Carolina in a more college-like system because I didn't feel he did that enough with Taylor Heineke. You're a fan of this team. Do you think he'd have to do it? Do you think he'd be willing to do it? I think he would definitely have to tailor it to him uh, just because I don't think he's going to be ready to read NFL defenses and work professional concepts right now. Uh, he just never really did at North Carolina, so maybe he can. Uh, but it, nothing on tape shows that he could do that right away. Um, so, you, so you have to kind of work on a, a much simpler offense, a RPO-heavy, play-action-heavy sort of offense that, again, uses his legs, um, uses his his deep ball accuracy, and you're just going to kind of have to go with that. Um, I, I think what you saw with Heineke last year is when he was able to kind of freelance and you know, escape the pocket and, and work on the run, that's when you saw a lot of his biggest mistakes. A lot of hero balls, I like to call it, of him just kind of, you know, thinking he's back in college and kind yeah. of thinking he can fit a ball into a place he, he just can't. Um, I didn't see that as much from Sam Howell. Um, he had to do it a lot more last year just because of the, the talent around him. Um, but in 2020, I, I saw a more calm quarterback. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that's what – if you're asking him to do that right away, it just won't be very successful. But um, he might he might need to step in. Carson Wentz has not been the most, you know, uh, consistent quarterback when it when it comes to injuries and whatnot. So. All right, let's finish up with a um, two-part question for Nick Ackridge. Nick's done a great job. Nick is a pro football focus senior data analyst. But beyond that, and this is why I'm going to finish up uh, with this question, Nick is a fan of the team. So he follows this team super closely in addition to studying it. So two-part question here. A, did they get better in this offseason, which is for the most part complete. There could be more to come here, but we're through the draft now, and B, what's your early gut on how many games they win next year? I think they have gotten better. Um, you know, when you just kind of upgrade the quarterback position, which I, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Carson Wentz, but he is he is definitely an upgrade over Taylor Heineke. Um, I, I think they definitely got better in that case. I, I think that you're still going to see them hover around that, that same sort of win total, that, that seven to maybe nine or ten wins. Um, I'd like to see how the schedule shakes out before I put like a firm number, but I think they're kind of in that seven to 10 win range. And if you can get good Carson Wentz and you can see him play all 17 games, then I think you can maybe get that into that 10 win range and maybe sneak into the playoffs. If you know, you get the injury luck and you get those sort of lucky bounces in these one score games that you need, um, to have to be successful. Uh, so yeah, I, I think they're in that seven to 10 win range. Um, I think that's kind of where they were at the end of last year as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's a slight improvement. I would have liked to, you know, do a little bit more, but I think it's a small step in the right direction. 
Nick, thanks. Really appreciate it. Great job. At PFF underscore Nick Ackridge. That's A-K-R-I-D-G-E. He's a D.C. sports fan, and he works for PFF. It's great to have you on the show for the first time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, it was awesome. Uh, Anytime. I'll be around. I'll just be on Twitter probably complaining at things. (laughs) Most do. All right, that's the show uh, wrapping up uh, the Washington Commanders NFL Draft. Tune in tomorrow morning, 6 to 9 a.m. on the Team 980 to hear the radio show. We'll have Joe Theismann uh, on the show and perhaps another guest or two. Uh, And you can also listen to that radio show by downloading the Odyssey app uh, and streaming it or listening to the podcast of it as you do this one. All right, that's it. Enjoy the rest of your day.